0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
1: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode
2: of Risk, you'll hear Baruch Porras Hernandez. And he like pulls open his towel and he has this giant erection, like gigantic, so much that it like scared me. So I went, no, no. That and more
1: very soon. But before that, because we have to keep roofs over our heads and put food on our table, just a quick word from our sponsors. Risk is supported by Squarespace, the simplest way to create a compelling website from the strange to the downright beautiful Great stories define us, and you should tell yours with simple tools and templates. Squarespace helps you capture your story with a captivating website. Start your free trial today. Visit squarespace.com slash risk. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And just one more here, getting your mailing and shipping done seems like a no-win situation. Getting to the post office takes up valuable time. Leasing a postage meter, that's expensive. Luckily, we know a better way. Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your computer and printer. You can even get special postage discounts you won't find at the post office. Plus, Stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter. At just a fraction of the cost, you can save at least 50% compared to a postage meter, and you'll avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. We use Stamps.com at RISK and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you can sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code RISK for this special offer, a four-week trial, plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now, here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. This is Gabriel Mintz behind me now, and we are calling today's episode, Who Are You? Three stories that were shared at various live shows we did last year. One in Toronto, one in Los Angeles, and one in San Francisco. All three stories where intimate relationships turned into <laughs> identity crises. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Graham Isidore, who runs the Press Gang storytelling show in Toronto. But before that, a story from one of those wonderful shows we did last year with Body Storytelling, hosted by Dixie De La Tour in San Francisco. This is Baruch Perez Hernandez with a story we call Alter Ego.
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, this is a story. Uh, it's about a time in my life when I was very young, very young, being like mid 20s, uh, in which I was a scumbag. Like, like a bastard. Like, a lying sack of shit. Uh, Which is why I wear this t-shirt tonight. I'm wearing a t-shirt with my favorite comic book character of all time, Rogue from the X-Men. She's fucking awesome. If you read the comic books, you know why. Uh, But she used to be a bad guy and then became a good guy. A lot of people don't know this because they watch the movies. Rogue in the comic books started out as a villain and then turned into a good person. She wanted to change. And I wanted to Change after I did something pretty bad. Uh, When I moved to San Francisco, I used to be a romantic. I'm an Aquarius. I'm a chubby Mexican immigrant who loves food. And I'm a proud chubby Mexican immigrant. Uh, But I used to be a romantic. And when I came out, all of my friends were like, yeah, now you can have sex with all the gay guys. And I was like, no, I want love. (laughs) And they were like, oh, dude. But you're gay, you're gonna, you're gonna get a lot of dicks in your face. And I was like, no. I want hand-holding and, 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 and walks on the beach and picnics in the park. I want chocolate-covered strawberries. And I want just like all-night lovemaking. When you get so sweaty, you don't know which is yours or his. It's just sweat everywhere. And my friends were like, okay, dude, whatever good luck. So I moved to San Francisco because I was told that San Francisco was the gayest city in the world. And I'm like, yes! And then I move here and I find out it is one of the gayest cities in the world. And then I find out, if you're a single gay man, it is the worst city in the world. (laughs) For single gay men in San Francisco, it's just your odds of finding a boyfriend are really, really low. Your odds of finding dick are really, really high. But I wanted love, I wanted romance, and I went out every night trying to find love, and I just, every night I failed. And after three years, I was still a failure. I had a lot of like crazy stories, but I was still a failure. And I was getting like pretty sad about it. Like so sad that I, start, I tried online dating, failed. I was like, speed dating, failed. But they were like, you're charming, do you want to be a facilitator? And I was like, how dare you? Sure, okay, I'll be here next week. Let's do this. So, finally all my gay friends are like, "You're in your mid 20s. No one wants to date you." Come on. Nobody <laughs> wants to. Everybody wants to fuck you. You're 25. Nobody wants to date you. Nobody wants to date a 25-year-old. I was like, "That's not true. There's someone out there for me." My friends were like, "Tough luck. Deal with it." So one night I did get very like down and I was a little depressed and I got pretty drunk. And I just looked out into the city. I was at the lookout bar. And I was like, you know which bar. Uh, I was holding my little, you know, you know, I didn't know what I liked to drink back then, so it was like a terrible vodka cranberry. And I was just like holding my little straw, like, well, if this city won't help me find love, I am going to find some dick. All of it. All of the dick in my face. So I was like, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. I've always been a very careful boy. I've always been a very respectful boy. And that night I was like, I'm gonna be a really bad boy. So I decide, I'm like, what's the craziest thing I could do tonight? Sex club. So I go to the sex club. Turns out it's a bathhouse. It's one of the oldest bathhouses in San Francisco. And I'm just like, I'm doing this, I'm going in. I've never been, I'm, I don't have a buddy to explain anything to me, but it's gonna happen. And I just get in there. And I realize it is really terrifying, and nothing like speed dating. Because you're not just not wearing a name tag. you are not wearing anything but a towel and hopefully some, you know, sandals. Some flip-flops. Be careful, boys. So I don't know what it's like now, because I haven't been for years. Uh, but back then, uh, this bathhouse I thought was pretty great. Two stories, really dark, some, like, cool boom-boom music, you know. And all these dudes just in their, in their, like, little white towels. Of course, I just was like, could I get a bigger towel for... This one doesn't really... I don't want to walk around holding it. And... Uh... I was, like, super embarrassed, and the guy at the front desk was really cute. He was like, oh, you mean an extra sexy towel? Hands me a big-ass towel. I was like, I like you. Thank you. I just waltzed in. Um, so, I go in, and I, I realize it's, it's not like a bar. It's not like speed date. It's not like anything. Every, everyone's just naked and walking around, and I'm such a blabbermouth, you know, that it was like being like having duct tape around your like no one was talking and i was like oh no no one's talking what do i do how am i going to get laid this is terrifying oh my god Uh, and then sometimes dudes would like walk towards me and I guess the code was I learned like there's a lot of codes for going to sex clubs a lot of the gay men in the audience know what happens at sex clubs sometimes it's just this unspoken rule Uh, I'm sure the same goes for straight sex clubs but I I was new so I didn't know I I was just like do I just go up to someone and go hey (laughs) point to my penis and just be like this yeah no yes no I didn't know what to do Um, So I just, I like watched the porn. I watched some people have sex. It wasn't really doing it for me. Finally, this one guy walks towards me and he's like really tall. And I'm I'm a tall man. This man was super tall. I was like, oh my God, that dude's super tall. And then he like, he's just staring at me and he like pulls open his towel and he has this giant erection, like gigantic. So much that it like scared me. So I went, no, no but he was walking towards me and I didn't know that I wasn't so, he walks up to me and he's like, do you want this? And I was like, no, but he does. And there was this, there's this really hot Asian guy on all fours who had been lubing himself for like an hour. And was like looking at me and I was just kind of like, I didn't know how to say like, I'm new here, I'm not ready for that. So I just, just like, Trying to ignore his, like, butthole staring at me. So I grab this guy's gigantic cock. It was like an arm. And I just kind of point it towards this Asian guy. And I I grab a condom. And I'm like, here, you're going to fuck this guy because he wants it. And the Asian guy looks at me and is like, yeah, I do. I do. So they start fucking. And the big guy, like, just looks at me like, thanks, man. And I'm like, yeah, this is hot. So something in me that night like changed. I was just like, no one here talks, and I like to talk. I have the power at the bathhouse. House. So I start walking around. I see this really hot ginger stroking himself. I'm like, you cool? He's like, I'm cool. Follow me. Grab his dick. Walk away. He follows me. I lead him to the two dudes. I'm like, you're gonna lick this guy's asshole while he fucks this guy. Ginger's like, okay. Sweet. Get back to work. I walk around. I see two sexy, head-shaped, chubby Mexican bears. And I'm just like, how you guys doing tonight? They were like, uh, 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 we're good. I was like, you guys wanna, you guys gonna go fuck someone? They're like, yeah. I'm like, follow me. Follow me. Show me your dicks. That's good. Come on. And then I just, like, put him in the orgy. And suddenly, we get surrounded by all these people jacking themselves off, watching this orgy. And I felt like an architect. I felt like a designer. I felt like... I felt like a visionary, really. I mean... Seriously, like... Three dudes going down on guys that were laying down with their butts up in the air. We got to find some mouths for these butts. So I went, just, I, people started coming to me. Like, they were like, what do I do? I'm like, put your mouth on his asshole. Yeah, lick that asshole while he sucks on that guy's dick. Let me know when you're ready. I'll bring the condoms. It's going to happen. It's going to be great. And the whole time, there was this really hot older guy, salt and pepper hair, looked kind of like a G.I. Joe Army sergeant, really pretty blue eyes. The whole time he was, like, staring at me and, like, laughing every time I would say something. Because I was just like, good job. Oh, yeah, you really like that asshole, don't you? And he was, like, laughing. And then I finally just was, like, I stared at my masterpiece, and I was like, remember, boys, consent is sexy. And the guy, like, laughed. He didn't really want to join in, I guess, but he was, like, staring at me. So finally, they all start, like, coming all over each other. And he walks up to me, and he's like, I just have to say that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, thank you. And he was like, he's, he had like pecs and like muscles. He was tan, little gray hair right here, taller than me, uh, wearing a towel. And uh, my towel had fallen off by that point, but I didn't care. And then he's like, what about you? How come you're not in there? And I was like, I'm not ready for orgies. It's my first time here. And he was like, Really? So he starts giving me a back rub, which was amazing, and we go off to a corner by ourselves in the dark and have, like, some of the best sex I had had in a long time. So much that I kind of, like, forgot where I was, and then out of nowhere, he just was like, um, that was amazing, what's your name? And then I panicked, because I was at a sex club. And it was my first time. And good Catholic boys don't go to sex clubs. And I was like, I'm probably never going to see this guy again. So I was like, uh, my, name, my name is uh, Bob. Which is not. My name is Baruch. Every time I go to Starbucks, though, I tell them my name is Bob because it saves me 20 minutes. It saves me 20 minutes. People are like, Baruch, is that Jewish? Are you Jewish? Where's that from? Mexican Jew? How did that happen? Tell me the story of how you came to this name. And I was like... It's a latte and I'm in, I'm, I'm in a hurry. So I had that Starbucks moment at the sex club covered in my own semen, holding this guy saying, my name's Bob. He's like, you're cool, Bob, I'm gonna call you Bobby. I was like, all right, I gotta go now because I had come and the reality of where I was was starting to seep in. The smell of jizz in the floor, the smell of bleach from the bathrooms. The, 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 the fact that I was in a room naked with other men, I was, everything started coming back. So I thank him, I shower, I put my clothes on, I take some deep breaths. I ask the Lord to forgive me just in case. And I, you, know those, you know when you've done something you've never done before that you feel like you're flying? I flew the fuck out of that bathhouse house onto Market Street and the cold air hits me. And then I'm just like, all right, time to do the... The longest walk of shame ever because the BART had closed and I was like, oh, I'm far from my house. I hate walking. Uh. And then I hear, Hi, Bobby. There was the dude. He looked really good with his clothes on. And I was like, How are you? <laughs> Fancy meeting you here. And uh, he starts chatting me up. He asks me if I need a ride. I'm kind of like, I don't know. And then he shows me his motorcycle, puts on his leather jacket. And I'm just like, yes, I do want to ride on your fucking hot-ass motorcycle. And then uh, we, he gives me a ride home. I thought I was going to die. I'd never been on a motorcycle. I didn't know that when you turn in a motorcycle, you feel like your face is going like, to get scraped off the pavement. And I'm such a like pansy when it comes to that. But it was romantic. Here I was, like riding in a motorcycle through downtown San Francisco with the lights, everything being so pretty that I, I was just like, this stuff like this never happens to me. I was like on a cloud. He parks, walks me to my door, tells me how handsome I am, puts his jacket around me because he thought I was cold. He kisses me on the cheek. I'm so out of it that when he asks me for my number, I just give it to him. I'm like, here's my number. Okay, yours? Awesome. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to see you again, Bobby. I'm like, yes, you will. And then I go back into my studio and I'm like, Oh shit, I forgot to tell him my name's not Bobby. <laughs> oh my god. Now, a normal person would have just called him the next day. By the way, we were in a sex club. It's pretty normal to give a different name, you know, anonymous sex, blah, blah, blah. My name's actually Baruch, it's not Bobby. But I was not a normal person back then. I was a manic depressive who had panic attacks. So instead of thinking logically, I had like a three day panic attack. It like just, I just was like, why? No, I ruined it. Uh, so then he finally calls me I'm like yeah I want to go on a real date with you sure let's do this and he's like great I can't wait hangs up I'm like ah fuck I forgot but then the romantic in me is like don't ruin it bro and I'm like fuck you romantic in me I'm just like okay how about this first date I'm just going to tell him right away right off the bat first date happens I get really cute I open the door and I'm like I'm going to tell him he's got flowers like a giant bouquet of flowers and he's like, I'm so happy to see you look, we're in the daylight I'm like, we're not, yeah, oh my god and he's like, what did you want to tell me? I was like, uh, and he's like, get in the motorcycle let's go for a ride I'm like, "All right." the motorcycle ride is a romantic ride across the Golden Gate Bridge we get to the spot where he had planned this picnic for us and he's like, what did you want to tell me? and I'm like, now might not be a good time As he's putting chocolate-covered strawberries in my mouth, he keeps asking me questions about myself, but I was so nervous and so afraid of ruining this perfect date that instead of telling him the truth, I just kept lying. So the more he asked me, the more I lied. Instead of telling him who I was, I ended up Bobby, a uh, Libra, Italian, Who likes basketball. (laughs) Who is an interpreter at, like, a publishing law firm or something. And I don't even know if that happened or existed. I just was like... Oh, and then I I spoke, like, six languages. He didn't ask me anything about the languages, thank God. And then uh, we go to his house, and I'm like, I'm going to tell him at his house. But instead, he gives me, like, this full-body massage... And have, we have, like, all oh, this great sex. And, of course, I go home, and I'm like, I'm going to tell him on the second date. But I didn't. Um, now, another reason why, not just because he was so romantic, another reason why I could, just couldn't bring myself to tell him is that he just kept doing these great things. I hadn't bought him since I was 18. I was raised Mexican Catholic, and just Mexican boys don't do that. So he was slowly teaching me how to bottom and uh it's hard to just be like because sometimes he would be like you said you had to tell me something with his fingers in my ass and i would just be like now's not the time (laughs) and he had this like really big dick to the point where i was just like this is never gonna work it worked it worked thank god for that guy he kind of taught me how to enjoy uh bottoming to the point where like i thought i was one of those like dragon ball characters where all this like yellow energy and lightning is just like flying out of you but it's like out of my like you know ass because like he was just so good and i would just and like would take his time like like the sun would be rising at his really nice apartment that's another thing he had such a nice apartment <laughs> i'd just be naked like dead from all of the amazing orgasms and he would just be like you seem like you want to tell me something What did you want to tell me? No, Bobby, don't. Uh, I would just be like, I don't, I just, I don't know. Uh, He was like, I want to take you to the woods. We should go to the woods. And I'm like, yeah, let's go to the woods. Every time I would come home, I would feel horrible. I told one of my friends about it. This is a secret I kept from everyone. I only told one of my friends. And my friend, who I would tell, was like, you are a terrible person. How long has it been? And I would say, like, two months. Two months?! You've been dating this guy for two months. You haven't told him. You are, get out of my house. So I'm like, go to my therapist. Like, I'm like, I need you to like walk me through this. And my therapist is just like, no, this is terrible. You are a terrible person. You need to tell him the truth like tonight. Or I'm going to stop seeing you. So I go. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him. And he's like, before you tell me anything, I just need to pick something up from this guy's house. I'm like, no, I got to tell you something. We got to talk, okay? Like seriously, stop like interrupting me with wonderful romantic things. And then we go into this. He's like, as soon as we get out of my friend's house, he just needs me to pick something up. You can tell me whatever you want to tell me. All right, it's gonna happen. We open the door, and all of his friends go, surprise! It was a surprise birthday party. All of his closest friends and family were there. And they all wanted to meet Bobby. His coworkers were like, he can't stop telling us about you, Bobby. His best friend was like, so nice to finally meet you, Bobby. He is so into you, man. Oh my God, Bobby, my sister is also a Libra. I love Libras. Of course you and him are working out. He's also a Libra. Libras go well together. The whole time, after, like, I'm just dying inside, dying. We have cake, he looks at me and he's like, what did you want to talk about? It's like, eat your cake, happy birthday. I'm a terrible person. Finally, like, shit hits the fan when, uh, uh, oh, you think I would've told him that night? No, like two months later, I'm still Bobby. I'm depressed as fuck. Literally, I go home and like, think about killing myself because killing myself would be easier than telling this guy the truth. Um, Finally, we run into my mother. On Union Square, she talks to me in Spanish. Hola, mi amor, ¿cómo estás? ¿Quién es? I'm like, hello, hi. And in Spanish, I'm just like, look, uh, this is bad. You should go. And in Spanish, she's like, what the fuck are you doing now, Baruch? What have you gotten yourself into? And my poor friend is, my boyfriend's like, hi, what's going on? She's like, nothing. So she kind of grabs me, and my mom's like, whatever you are doing, stop it and fix it. And she walks away into the Palabard station. I tell him my mother was my neighbor and that she doesn't speak English. I go home and I am so distraught that I just decide to not call him back. And he texts me and he texts me and he calls me and I don't call him back. And I just get more depressed. Bobby. So depressed that I, like, stop going to work. I, like, stopped talking to my friends. Like, literally, it was bad. Like, I stopped doing laundry. Uh, finally, my, you know, I'm talking to my mother, and I just decide to tell her everything. And she just says, like, if you don't go tell him right now, I'm going to stop talking to you. I'm not going to be your mom. That is awful. <laughs> So I'm like, you're right, and I put my clothes on and I go out my door. I'm just like, I'm just gonna show up at his house because he probably won't answer my calls. I open the door and he's right there, and he looks really pissed. And he's like, "We need to talk." I'm like, "Yes, yes, we do." He's like, "Where the fuck have you been? Did I do something to piss you off? Did I hurt you? How come you haven't responded to my calls?" It's been a... Re- I'm, I just was like, I know, I'm sorry. You should sit down. I tell him everything and he just gets this really dark look on his face and his face goes from like pale to red to like just shocked and then his like jaw drops and then after a while I'm like are you okay and he just goes does this mean you're not a Libra (laughs) and I go no I'm not a Libra I'm an Aquarius I'm sorry And uh, he gets up, and he says, telling me the truth was really brave. And I was like, you can punch me in the face if you want. And he's like, I'm not going to punch you in the face. We should go for a walk. And we go for a walk. And as we walk, he tells me that telling him the truth he thought was really brave, and it's the reason why he didn't want to stop seeing me. And I was like what are you talking about? I've done something terrible. And he tells me that he doesn't want to dwell on that because he doesn't dwell on bad things. He just dwells on good opportunities. And he says, this is just a good opportunity for me to get to know you all over again. And then he holds my hand and we just keep walking. Thank you guys.
3: I don't know who you think you are. Who are you? Who's this clown? Who the fuck are you? How is it, (laughs) buddy?
1: All right.
4: So Mouse and I met on the message board uh, for a lesser known horror punk band, and we dated for almost two years. Never actually been in person. The entirety of the relationship was conducted via MySpace, LiveJournal, and AOL Instant Messenger. And on some level, I think she's the only person that I've ever really loved. So I guess what that makes what I'm about to tell you, uh, a love story of sorts. But let's give you some context before we jump in. Um, So I had a difficult time as a teenager. As I imagine, a lot of people here probably had a difficult time as a teenager, um, judging by the fact that no one in this room seems to have 20-20 vision, and uh, also because you listen to this show. Um, Puberty hit me like a ton of bricks, and overnight, I went from five foot nothing to nearly six foot, doubled my body weight, and I started to develop a chest hair. Um, All of a sudden, I was different, and I didn't have any way to hide it, and when you're 11, being different is the worst possible thing that has ever happened to anybody. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but preteens and teenagers, they're not particularly known as empathetic creatures. Um, In fact, if I had to characterize them, I'd say that they're pack animals. Uh, They have the innate ability to sniff out differences and weaknesses, and they will exploit those differences or weaknesses with a reckless abandon that in adult life is usually reserved for psychopaths or bus drivers. Um, So if you can picture it, there I am on the schoolyard with my shoulders hunched over. Hormonal, hairy, oversized, of course, an easy target. Two main nicknames in elementary school. The first is Stinks. Um, they would call me Stinks because my excessive body weight led to sweating and it meant that I stunk. Second nickname is Titsy. Um, they would call me Titsy uh, because my excessive body weight meant that I had man tits. And I think both these things kind of speak for the general creativity of our youth. Um, <laughs> and in retrospect, a little bit funny if you're not me. Um, but I am me. So they were challenging. I can talk about these things now. I uh, can even laugh about them, but at the time it was all kind of overwhelming. I was lonely, and I was sad, and I was confused constantly, and I honestly wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with myself. Um, As an adult, there's all sorts of things you can do if you don't like your life. Uh, You can move cities. Um, You can get all your courage up and leave that shitty boyfriend or girlfriend. You can ditch your terrible friends. But as a kid, you don't have that many options. So what would happen is each day I would get up and I would go to a place that I despised. And I would do these things that I didn't feel engaged with. And I was in this body that I didn't know how to control. And there are like a 100 different examples I could give you of why I felt so sad like there's this time when um, all the kids in uh, my class they centered around me and they started to chuck dodgeballs in my head and there was this time in seventh grade where um, my teacher uh, started to point and laugh because I couldn't perform a gymnastic routine and these things are shitty but what it actually was was attrition. I kept on going out day after day with the same thing and nothing could change and it just made me tired. I felt really, really tired. So. At one point, I decided that I was going to take control of my life and the way that I was going to do this was by taking a bunch of disposable razor blades and slashing up my arms. It wasn't a spur of the moment thing. I had thought about it for a long time. Initially, the plan had been to stick my head in our family's oven, but I found out that it was electric, (laughs) so that was thwarted. Um, As a side note, uh, Gillette Mach 3 razor blades kind of ruined the aesthetic of a slit wrist. That like one mark is sort of rock and roll, but the three stripes is not so much. Um, Anyway, so I'm sitting uh, in my bedroom and I'm looking at like my slit wrists and I'm thinking that maybe this is going to be the thing that finally changes my life. I need something, anything to hold on to. and, And that day I got through, but it was not for a couple years that I started to find things. I found music which is incredibly important to me. And then at 15 years old, I found this girl, Mouse. For me, Mouse was like the perfect woman. Um, She looked like Audrey Hepburn, if Audrey Hepburn dressed like a member of the casualties. Um, (laughs) She had like leopard print all the time and leather jackets and this long brown hair that was teased out. And I remember in our first conversation, she said um, that uh, vegetarianism was a sellout. because if you're not gonna murder an animal, you shouldn't torture it for the rest of its life either. And I was like, cool. <laughs> she was cool, she was extremely cool. She was into an anarchy and, uh, and leftist politics. She liked literature and loud music. She cut her own hair and she made her own clothing, but more importantly than any of this, she liked me. She actually liked me, which was such a revelation, right? Because at the time, I didn't like me. So here was this girl who was beautiful and intelligent and opinionated, and she was saying that I was worth something, which meant, you know, maybe I was. The first time you fall for somebody, it's, it's like magic or the Big Bang, right? There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, and then bam, there's tons of shit that you couldn't even begin to explain, but sometime, at the same time, still sort of feels like home. So after that conversation, Mouse and I would talk every night and um, we would talk about music or our favorite books. And eventually the conversations got a little bit deeper. I explained that uh, my family has a lot of mental health issues and I have a cousin who just lives in the forest. Um, She explained that she hadn't talked to her dad in like five years, but occasionally he would call. And then I explained about like my complicated relationship um, with my brother and then she explained things and it went back and forth like that. And I would ask her questions incessantly because I needed to know everything about this girl. And eventually I asked her, um, what was the thing that inspires you the most? And Mouse sends back this link to a live journal community, which is kind of like a proto Tumblr uh, for those of you guys who aren't familiar. (laughs) Um, I couldn't figure out the community at first. I had all these pictures, high fashion, low fashion, high res, low res. And the only thing that all these pictures had in common was all the women in the pictures were really thin they were like exceptionally thin. They were thin to the point where you could see the ribs. Uh, They were thin to the point where you could see their hip bones or the collarbones sticking out. And I didn't get it at first, right? I asked Mouse why she had sent this to me and she said that it was her inspiration. This was the thing that inspired her the most. Didn't know the term for it then. Uh, Not sure if the term existed for it then because I was a teen at the time, but um, pro Anna communities, you guys familiar? yeah, there are uh, groups online where people can, uh, can help each other by posting pictures of these people and posting advice on, on how to get thin. Mouse admitted to me in that conversation um, that this was a huge part of her life and she was afraid to tell me because she was afraid of what I might think about her, but we'd gotten so close that she needed to share it. She also told me in that conversation that she loved me So she needed to be honest. And if she was honest, she would be more attracted to me if I were thin. And I had to think about it for a second, you know, right? Like, um, I care about this girl more than I care about anything in my entire life. Uh, She's so important to me. It's us against the world. So yeah, yeah, of course. Not even a question. Down the rabbit hole I go. The long and the short of it is, In about three months' time, I lost um, 45 pounds. Um, Saying before you now, 205 pounds. At the time, 155, so this minus 50. Uh, My goal weight was 145, but I never actually got there. I did this by jogging all the time. Uh, I did this by not eating, and when I would eat, uh, what I would do is take two fingers and I would stick them down my throat as far as they would go and I would wiggle them around, and if that didn't work, I would take the blunt edge of a toothbrush and I would stick that down my throat as far as it would go and I would push and I would push and if I was lucky, I would start to gag and stuff would come out. I'd like to tell you guys that uh, people realized I was getting sick, but not true. Um, What I got for the weight loss was compliments. Um, What I got for the weight loss was attention from people who never paid attention to me before and what I got for the weight loss was actually a short-term modeling gig uh, with a t-shirt company that ran locally. Um, What these people didn't know was that uh, my hair had started to fall out in clumps. Um, What they didn't know is passing out had kind of become a regular occurrence in my day-to-day life. And what they didn't know is that I had started to take sleeping pills. Because when you're sleeping, um, you don't eat. I learned that from a website. All these things got kind of intense for a while, but it also brought me closer to mouse. Because we had this thing together, right? And the rest of the world didn't want us anyways. So we're gonna reject what they had to offer. And we couldn't tell you who they were. Still can't really tell you who they were, but fuck them. Um, Fuck them. There's one instance that I remember uh, particularly well. Um, The two of us were looking at a photo of Nick Cave who is an amazing singer-songwriter and also a heroin addict. Nick Cave uh, was exceptionally thin. Uh, the photo, you could see his ribs and his, his arms almost disappeared if you turned him sideways, and both of us were lamenting the fact that we had done everything right. We tried as hard as we could, but we still couldn't look like Nick. And that was really sad. The plan had always been that I was going to go visit Mouse in California, uh, it was a stupid plan because I was 16 years old at the time, but against all odds, uh, saved up three grand, three grand on a 7.25 an hour job in order to go to California, pay for my plane ticket, my parents' plane ticket and meet her. But when I went to buy the plane tickets, she told me that I shouldn't come. Uh, I shouldn't come because she couldn't admit to her mom that the two of us had been talking. Um, There was no way that we could meet even if I did show up. So everything just kind of fizzled after that. I'd like to be able to tell you guys that things got a lot better. Um, Everybody cleaned up their act, but it's not true. Uh, I went to university shortly thereafter. I passed out in one of my classes and I was asked to speak with a counselor. Mouse, for her part, uh, had got down to 96 pounds, was admitted to the hospital for complications due to her liver and uh, one of the last conversations the two of us ever had, she admitted she was finally ready to get better. She really wanted to move past this, but... She couldn't, because she couldn't afford the health care. Stupidly, we thought maybe if the two of us got married, she could come up here. We could share the Canadian health care, but it's not how that works. I haven't talked to her in almost eight years. Don't have the contact information. Uh, I myself, you know, um, I'm somewhat better. still think about the way that food is going to interact with my body every time I put it in my face. But I've learned coping mechanisms, picked up a gym membership, and I've also learned not to talk about it too much because it makes people uncomfortable. The other thing I think about all the time um, but I don't really talk about is Mouse. Don't know where she is, don't have the contact information. But I hope she's doing okay. And if I could talk to her, I'd tell her that I really value the time that we spent together. And in some ways, I think it saved my life. I hope she's doing okay. But who knows
3: <laughs> picking up the pieces of the requiem and live. And I'm dealing with dilemmas In my now so stressful life And I'm drinking stronger spirits I made my home here on the floor And I'm losing all ambition and gold I'm going all out And I'm thinking You're just as bad No sleeping at night But I'm going from bar to bar Why can't we just rewind? Why can't we just rewind? Why can't we just rewind?
1: This is Risk. This is Paolo Nutini behind me now. And we just heard from Graham Isidore in Toronto. He does the storytelling show there called Press Gang. Before that, we heard a little interstitial by Jeff Barr, our editor here. And I can't tell you guys how excited I truly am for the live shows we have coming up this week in Carborough, North Carolina, Austin, Houston, and Dallas We have had such fantastic stories come in through our submissions page at risk-show.com. And our absolutely fabulous producers, Cindy Freeman and Michelle Walson have been helping me coach these guys on these stories. So listen, in Carborough, North Carolina, we are there on the 10th of February, Austin the 12th, Houston the 13th, Dallas the 14th. You gotta make it out. Those are gonna be Really, really special shows. Also, Valentine's Day is coming up. You can make this one, one that you'll both never forget, with this amazing offer we have from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you receive 50% off just about any item. You go to adamandeve.com, you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, toys, lingerie, adult DVDs, and more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit Free. The romance kit includes a toy for him, a massager for her, a little something you'll both enjoy, plus a free adult DVD, and free shipping for the entire order. So check out adamandeve.com today for the special Valentine's Day offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter the offer code RISK. That's R-I-S-K at adamandeve.com. Our final story today comes from the remarkable Sovereign Sire. You can find her podcast called Observations on iTunes, or you can find her online at ilovesov.com. Here she is at the monthly Risk live show that we do at the Nerdist Showroom in Los Angeles with a story we call Under the Skin.
5: I was a photographer in search of a muse, and I was a model in search of maestro. So in 2009, I flew to New York City on a first date. I landed in LaGuardia and began wandering around baggage claim looking for the man of my dreams. Uh, John found me right away. He was everything that he said he was going to be. He was tall, dark, handsome, and, you know, just dripping with charisma. He handed me a rose, looked deep into my eyes, I hid the zit that was on my chin, (laughs) and he said, let's go home. And my heart just melted. I mean, I had just stepped into a romance novel. So John was 31. He was a photographer. He had started and was running his own successful headshot business, which he ran out of his custom-built, brand-new condo in one of the trendiest neighborhoods in Brooklyn, I thought that my life was set because this guy was like really, really into me. And um, if you can't see me, I am physically perfect in every way. (laughs) Uh, At least that's the way he made me feel because that's how love is, right? It's instantaneous and it's illogical and over the top and you will kind of believe anything. So the first few weeks in New York were amazing, bliss-filled. He showed me... The subway, which was really exotic to me. Um, The Empire State, Central Park. The city was just starting to turn to fall. The tree-lined streets of Brooklyn. It was all beautiful. And we would sit on the rooftop deck of his condo and look at the glittering lights of Manhattan and dream of a future where anything was possible. And he would regale me with stories of his childhood, a childhood spent the son of pirates. That's right, real pirates. Uh, He had lived in 60 different countries, spoke six different languages, and he had spent time as a teenager as a telenovela star. He was full of amazing stories, like when he learned to drive under military fire in a third world country, Uh, the time on a beach in Colombia where he rescued his mother from uh, 'er ne'er-do-well pirate drug lord dudes that were probably going to savage her in some sort of brutal way. What a romantic hero. He even had like little throwaway stories that were kind of incredible, like... <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the first time I saw a dead body? I was uh, swimming in the Amazon River. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, this was the kind of shit where you immediately are like, um, you can see yourself next to him, living out these romantic adventures, and who doesn't want to be with a pirate, you know, that also happens to be like really, really, really amazingly good-looking and funny and brash and in love with you. I mean, you are literally <laughs> perfect in every way. I wanted to fall in love by the sea, and he said, no problem, let's fly to Florida. My mother lives there. We went to a sprawling house that was on a nature preserve in West Palm. This uh, this was living with the parents. Life was nothing but margaritas, mangoes, pedal bikes on the beach. Every day was a photo session because I was just so beautiful, you guys. I was just so perfect. Uh, He was so in love with me. I was his goddess. He was going to do a coffee table book just about me. I was so amazing. And I loved every second of it. I mean, who wouldn't want that? It's like every little girl's fantasy that someday you'll be just swept away from the cares of reality in the real world. And we flew back to New York, and that was about the time that all came tumbling down. It was pretty much in the time that it takes a plane to taxi from the runway to the terminal, and everyone turns on their cell phones. And he had a message from his ex-wife. She was in the house. She had realized that he had some troll up there, and we were not allowed back. Now, this was very confusing to me because John owned that home, Correct. He had just purchased this home. What stake did she have in any of it? So as we sat in the same baggage claim where I had been whisked away into fantasy land about two months previous, I was now standing next to a man who was frantically pleading with the woman on the phone. Baby, please, no, it's not what you think. I need the place to survive. I have to be able to show the place. It's not what you think. It's just so we get on our feet. Baby, don't do this. This is crazy. Please don't do this. Meanwhile, he's like frantically texting another friend trying to find a place for us to stay. I'm just sitting there bewildered. Why don't you just tell her to fuck off? Like, I mean, I didn't know a lot about people being married and having ex-wives, but I figured this is like, that typical ex-wife drama. I was like, um, it's your house. Just tell her to leave, or let's, like, call the cops. She can't kick us out of our home. I mean, I was promised a perfect life, and we're about to start it, so she needs to get the fuck out. Like, I don't know the problem is. <laughs> uh, we have luggage. It's winter in New York. I don't, like, <laughs> what the fuck is she thinking? And in the midst of all this, he turns to me, and he says... Listen, it's not my house, okay? She's the one making the mortgage payments. She's the one whose name's on it. My name's not anywhere on it. She left me, and out of guilt for having left me, she's been letting me stay and work out of the house. So if we want to continue to work there and have any kind of a life, we need to be really nice to her right now. Besides, I spent all of my savings taking you to Florida so you could have your fucking love story. I don't know how much you think a headshot photographer makes, but you must be out of your mind. Well, That shut me up. (laughs) I guess a rational person would have said, I guess maybe it's time for me to go home. (laughs) But I wasn't rational. I was in love. So um, I said, "Uh, okay. And as we rode silently in a cab to a friend's house to stay the night, I was just thinking, this is really amazing because I would feel really guilty and ashamed and embarrassed if I had lied to someone about the fact that I owned a home and had a decent income and had lured them literally across the country. And uh, instead, he's mad at me for being dumb enough to believe such a lie. And uh, I guess I have to agree. I mean, what would a guy with his shit together want with a girl like me? (laughs) Come on, these are the things we think. (laughs) because it's got to be my fault because if it's my fault i can control it and change it and so uh, as we sat at his friend's house he explained to me that his successful headshot business was actually sort of a fly-by-night operation cash under the table where he advertised on the back pages of craigslist to out-of-work actors that didn't have a lot of cash and he you know made barely enough to survive in new york which i mean honestly could have been 10 grand a month and it would have been (laughs) would have been a pittance in manhattan but uh this was life, and if I wanted to continue life with him, like, this is what I had to work with. And I thought, you know what, he may be a liar, he may be a scammer, but he is really, really good looking. <laughs> and wow, like, what a hard worker. I mean, <laughs> come on, right? Like, <laughs> this was like no easy affair. So the next step was to figure out how we were going to survive now. He managed to con his wife into agreeing to allow him to continue to use the condo as a sort of shoot space as long as I was not there under any circumstances because I was clearly the devil. Uh, So we decided we had to move back to his parents' house down in Florida. And now that seemed a little bit less glamorous because, you know, who wants to live with someone's parents and he was going to fly back occasionally to New York to take discount headshots and eventually <laughs> save up money so that we could get our own place, probably someplace really nice like bed or Bushwick. Uh, and I was to stay in Florida, and it was when we made this decision that it became clear just how limited John's resources really were. He had never filed a tax return, he had never had a real job. He had never had a credit card. I mean, this guy was like a David Icke wet dream. He was off the fucking grid. <laughs> Which is amazing if you're like, you know, selling crack, but a little bit more challenging when you're, you know, gonna start a life with someone. His, so we found an apartment, and this was, oh, I left this out. Um, at the time that all that came together, the light at the end of the tunnel was that his ex-wife was willing to let him use her credit to get a place because they were still married. All of her shit was still in the house. Her toiletries were still in the bathroom. They had just been tucked away from view while I was there, (laughs) but she was very kind. She was willing to uh, let us use her credit And we found a place. The problem is it had a homeowners association that was designed to, I think, keep people like John and I out uh, (laughs) by having a rigorous interview process. And so they could screen all potential residents to make sure, you know, they weren't letting in any kind of a criminal element or, you know, derelicts or anything like that, you know, like what we were. Um... (laughs) And John came to me and he said, I found the place and here's what we're going to do. So we're going to use Jen's credit and for the interview, you're just going to pretend to be Jen, you know, for a few minutes and then you're going to sign the lease and then we'll both have keys and it'll be great. And I said, wow, that sounds a lot like identity theft. (laughs) I said, I don't think I can do that, man, because I've never told a lie in my life, and I'm not an actress. I'm immediately picturing some sort of, like, Andy McDowell, Gerard Depardieu, green card scenario in my mind, (laughs) in which I'm being quizzed, you know, about the various residences and credit purchases of a woman that I've never met in my life and that I don't know, that somehow I'm going to fuck it up, and, like, the FBI is going to come, like, storming in. (laughs) And like haul me off to jail because, you know, that was kind of more the world I was used to living in, one with consequences. And um, (laughs) I was crazy. Um, So I I flatly refused. I was like, I I just can't do this. I'm just so anxious. Like, I want to do this for you because I love you and I want to be a hustler like you. But I'm just like, I have an anxiety thing and it's just like there's there. It's just not going to work. And he got really frustrated and he said, God damn it, if you're gonna be a hustler, if you're gonna live like the bohemian artist lifestyle, you need to like, you know, get over your anxiety and get more comfortable like rolling with the punches. You know, when 9-11 happened, everyone was out of work and you know what, I just put on a fake British accent and found my way to the front of every line for people that were looking for work as a bartender. I used my headshots on my resume. He was always ready to go with this kind of like some sort of story about how he had been like the artful dodger. And You'd think we were in like a Dickensian kind of like weird dystopia, not Manhattan. And I was like, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I do so badly want to learn how to be a criminal like you. (laughs) But in the meantime, I just can't. And this is where he was really impressive to me, immediately came up with a solution. He told the Homeowners Association that Jen was on Broadway on tour, so she would sadly be unable to make the interview and could not sign the lease because she'd recently broken her hand. And John was so beautiful and so charismatic that he came home with the fucking key to an apartment that we now lived in. Unfortunately, I was an illegal resident. So while he was taking these Johns to New York to go make money, if I wanted to like leave the apartment, use the gym, go to the pool anything like that. If I got caught by security or HOA, I literally had no stake or reason to be there. And I, if I couldn't get a hold of him directly, that may mean that I would be just locked out of the apartment until he could call and say that, yes, I was, it was okay for me to be there. This went on for a while and uh, it was incredibly stressful. And one day my mom called and said, I booked a family vacation for us. Will you come? And I said, yeah, please. I need out of here. So we went to Belize, and for two weeks I was in paradise, not because of all of the natural beauty, but because for two weeks I didn't have to lie, I didn't have to hide, I wasn't afraid that at any moment I could be told I was about to be homeless, and I didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from. I was, for two weeks, it was a respite. I was in absolute nirvana, and that's when I realized that this was a really shitty situation, and I needed to do something about it. On the plane ride home, My anxiety was so bad that like I broke out in hives and I had gotten a bug bite in Belize and I like scratched it to like a bloody mess. These kinds of problems like kept emerging. It's like I couldn't vocalize how stressed out I was, but it's you know, like my hair would come out, like all of these things. And so when I landed, I said, John, something has to change or I have to leave. And I don't want to leave because I I really want to believe in this dream that we have, but like this is kind of crazy. Can you use your powers for good and can you con your wife into letting me come with you to New York when you take these trips at least? And he said, I'll give it a shot. And five minutes later, he said, (laughs) she said, it's fine. (laughs) So now I'm in New York and I'm happy because at least I'm not worried that I'm like gonna get kicked out of my house at any given moment. And I'm doing my modeling jobs here and there and then John comes to me and says like listen, we need to like step up our game here and so I have this plan for how we're going to, you know, make a lot more money. I spent a lot of money getting makeup artists to do makeup on these girls for these headshots and uh, that's money we could be pocketing if you can just, you know, pretend to be a makeup artist, right? It's going to be cool. It's going to be perfect. No problem. You can handle this. It's this like a small lie. It's like a small con. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. I didn't even know how to do my own makeup, let alone someone else's. I certainly, like, didn't have a makeup kit. Like, I didn't even know where to begin to do this. And if you know anything about actors or actresses, they're pretty neurotic about the way that they look. And when a young person is paying a lot of money for headshots, they're really particular about how they look. So this was kind of like a daunting task. I was nervous about doing it, but I was like, okay, I've got to learn how to be a con artist. I'll do this. And uh, he's like, it's really simple. I'm going to show you how to do a con. This is how we're going to do it. So he goes downtown and gets a really cheap makeup kit, an array of brushes, and he shows me how to lay it out just like a professional. And he says, so here's the trick to a con. It's, It's all about presentation. You know, It's not about what you do. It's about how you make people feel. And as he's explaining this to me, I'm, I'm remembering him spreading out the blanket on that rooftop deck. I'm, rem- <laughs> I'm remembering the glittering lights of Manhattan and the <laughs> that time at the Amazon when I found a dead body. All of it's like coming together and I'm like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> that is really effective. I was really <laughs> caught by all that. So I begrudgingly agree to this and uh, I start seeing clients and every time I'm terrified that they're going to demand their money back. They're going to yell at me They're you know, but they don't. Meanwhile, though, this bug bite that I have on my abdomen is like getting worse. It's like I can't stop scratching it. Now it's formed a hole. It's like weeping constantly. It's really like I can't go on modeling jobs because it's so gross. It's like every time that I get away with a lie And I don't get caught. I don't get relieved. I just get nervous because I'm like, okay, law of averages says that every time I get away with this, I'm like one step closer to totally getting caught doing this thing. And it wasn't just that I was afraid of getting caught in a lie. It was because fundamentally in my character, I felt guilty. I felt like I was charging people for a service they weren't getting. I felt bad. And I I didn't understand how John never felt that emotion whatsoever. He was like absolutely unflappable in the face of anything. I never saw him twitch, be scared. I mean, like I had watched a black client walk through the door when I didn't have, I was using my personal makeup kit, so I certainly couldn't accommodate that skin tone. And watched him just say, oh, our makeup artist got sick. Oh my God, it's like so last minute. Let me like see if I can get someone else. That was him. I mean, it was like in an instant, he always had an answer, always had an out, in a way that I was always flustered. One night, I wake up in the middle of the night, this bug bite really, really bothering me. It's feeling like, like it's needling into my my body, like really badly, like in a way that I've never felt anything before. And uh, I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel very alone because, I don't want to bother him with this problem and I'm thinking maybe it's psychosomatic and I'm thinking I don't have health insurance and I'm thinking that I could be really sick and I'm really far away from family and friends and home and I go down into the bathroom and I look at this thing and it's nasty and I suddenly have a memory of being in Belize (laughs) and uh, being on the resort and seeing a dog with a really swollen paw just like chewing at it and gnawing at it and me turning to one of the locals and saying, what's wrong with that dog? Like his paws, it looks like he's really uncomfortable. And I'm going like, oh, don't worry about that. It's just a bot fly. It's not a big deal. And I said, a bot fly? Well, what's that? (laughs) He said, oh, it's just a local parasite. So it, it's a fly, and what it does is it, it catches a mosquito, and it puts its eggs on its legs. And then when the mosquito bites a person or a dog or something, the eggs go into the bite. And then, uh, you know, like maggots kind of, like, they just they stayed in there. And then when they're ready to, to hatch, they just kind of, like, worm their way out. And, you know, you can always tell because it's like, it's like it'll form a hole at the top, and it'll just kind of, like, weep all the time. But he's like, it's not a big deal. Like, really, it's not a big deal. All you have to do is we, you just suffocate. It's like you get duct tape, and you just, like, suffocate it, and then you can take the duct tape off after a while, and, like, it'll come out, like, for air, and then you can, like, pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> like, all of this, like, like, it was, like, it was, like, tunnel vision. Like, as I'm standing in the mirror, it's, like, coming in, and I'm like, I've got a bot flying. <laughs> I have a parasite. <laughs> I run upstairs. I wake John up. I say... We need to take me to the doctor right away. I have a parasite inside me there. It's like feeding off of my body right now, and I'm kind of freaking the fuck out. And he goes, (laughs) that's ridiculous. (laughs) Listen. This is just like you not wanting to pretend to be Jen for five fucking minutes so that we could get a key to an apartment. This is like you hemming and hawing about doing makeup for clients because they might catch you in a lie. This is like every time you haven't been able to roll with the punches, you're just full of anxiety, you're incredibly nervous, it's holding you back from living your life. This is why you haven't ever gotten anywhere. This is why you need someone like me. And the way we're gonna deal with this problem is we're gonna fucking ignore it. It's gonna go away and you're gonna see that you're like, clearly totally neurotic and out of your mind okay (laughs) i mean i'm alone this is my sole friend right this is like my one partner in crime that i have for thousands of miles around me and uh, who wants to have a bot fly i I, like i was down i was like "Mm -hmm. i like i like this theory i'm down for this theory i really would love this to be true let's give it a shot so a week or two passes, and the bite's not getting any better. It is not healing, and now the feeling. it's like every time I'm doing makeup, every time I'm like telling that, "Hi, come on in. Yeah, I know I went to Mac. uh-huh. Yeah, I love great. Yeah, let's just no, we like to use bare minerals. We like to use that because it reflects off the light. Mm-hmm. No, I know it seems cheap yet. Like every time I'm doing that that con, I can like feel it in me, just needling in there. It's like a sensation I've never felt before. And I'm increasingly, like, worried. I kind of almost want to, like, steal some money and, like, sneak off to the doctor. Maybe there's, like, a way I can do it and, like, no one will know. But we're, like, counting every penny because something's always breaking. So we're never even, like, getting ahead, right? We're not even saving money because, like, everything that John had in his life was janky. It was, like, a light was breaking. A camera needed to be replaced. There was always something that needed attending to because, like, nothing was ever new, or out of the box, everything was like borrowed, stolen, or just never returned. And then things got worse. (laughs) His wife came over, Uh, she wanted to have dinner, and she sat us down and she said that she had just about run out of guilt and she was no longer going to be paying the mortgage while we, you know, laid about and indulged our little artistic fantasies. She wanted to rent out the condo to, you know, like a real paying tenant. They got in a knockdown, dragout fight, understandably. And John's John's point of view was that he needed this place to shoot out of. He couldn't afford a studio. We hadn't been able to save money because everything always went wrong in his life, and he was just never quite able to get ahead. And she countered with, "You're a criminal. You're a con artist. You're a ne'er do well. And now you've involved someone else in your petty little scams. And at your age, it's fucking ridiculous. Like you need to just like go out and get a real job, or you know, do something with your life." Now. <clears throat> Everything that she was saying was true, like absolutely, and all I knew was that I needed it to not be true. So I turned to her and I was like, listen, I know he's a con artist, but he's also like a really hard worker and he's only 31 years old, so I don't know why you're saying like he's a has-been and all this others, like this, like you know, in the life of an artist, he's still like a young man, we're young people, like there's plenty of time. And she looked at him, And she said, You lied to her about that too? (laughs) And then she looked at me and she laughed, but not like an evil laugh, like a really pitiful laugh. And she said, He's 38, he's almost 40. And it was like she had pulled the power cord right out of me. it, it It's not that I it was bothered that he was 40 years old, even though that was much older than he told me he was. It bothered me the intimacy of the lie that in six months of being together, he had never once bothered to tell me the truth that... Your age is such an intimate part of, like, sort of who you are as a person, the time you've been here, the amount of experiences you've had. And it's one thing to lie on a dating profile, it's another thing to spend six months living in a room with someone and to never once think to tell them, Hey, by the way, I'm a decade older than I told you I was. She left. It was a dark moment in the house because, you know, like, we were on borrowed time now. We didn't have a place to work. And I confronted him (laughs) and I said, Here's what I don't understand. There were times when you were crying because like a 32 year old photographer was more successful than you and you felt like a has-been. And I sat there comforting you, like you must be the most ambitious man on the planet. Like you still have a year to catch up. Like what do you care about this dude? And in fact, that wasn't true. I was being foolish and at any point, and I listed off like five other instances in which we had directly had conversations about his age and without flinching or betraying a single thing, he had not corrected this lie. And his defense was, he turned to me and he said, listen, my mom said it was cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) When I started dating again, my mom said it was cool for me to lie about my age. It's cool. (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) I realized immediately that uh, this wasn't gonna work out. But it was also terrifying because I realized like, oh my God, I've entrusted my life and everything about who I am to a person who has absolutely no, who's like completely lost touch with reality. I realized, oh, this is someone that actually never has had to deal with consequences for all the stories of piracy and swashbuckling and hustling. The truth of the matter is he had always actually had someone there to soften the fall should he fall, whether it was his mother or whether it was his wife, and that I was the opposite, and my neuroses was coming from the fact that I had lived in a world where I had nothing but consequences for my actions. So I went into the bathroom to contemplate my future, Uh, I got in the bathtub just to cool down and kind of think about calling home and saying, can you send me plane fare? I I failed, mom and dad, I failed, and I need to come home, and I need to, I guess, try again, regroup, whatever. And as I'm having these thoughts, I look down in the (laughs) bathwater at my bug bite, (laughs) and there, like a little white wormy periscope something is coming out of the bite like it's looking for air <laughs> like you know maybe a botfly. fly <laughs> i instinctively go to grab it because as you do i don't know you just want it out of you like get the fuck out of here and it darted back in into the bite so now i know <laughs> now i know something's in there so i jump out of the tub and i go find me some duct tape and some tweezers I go into the office, I'm like buck naked, crazed. I put duct tape over that bite, and I'm waiting like a woman waiting at a pregnancy test that like really needs to have that millionaire's baby. I mean, I am just like, please, dear baby Jesus, let me have a bot fly, please. I need all of my sanity hinges on the fact that I do in fact have a bot fly that my fears were based in reality. After about an hour, I'm sitting there still naked, wet hair, crazed. I like pull the duct tape back, and I wait and sure enough here comes this like white wormy thing I take the tweezers I grab and I pull and I am pulling and it is hard it is like pulling a lima bean through a coffee stir stick like I am pulling until like I like birth this terrible like white grubby squirming thing about the size of a lima bean it's got like a red toothy mouth and it's still got like a chunk of my flesh in it (gasps) It's fucking disgusting. (laughs) So, I'm like Jack Nicholson in The Shining at this point. (laughs) I've just performed surgery on myself. And I'm holding it up in the tweezers, and it's twitching. There's like blood running down my abdomen. There's a hole there. I'm naked and crazy. John, could you come in here, please? <laughs> he walks into the room, and I hold it in his face like he's going to know what this means. <laughs> like he's been there the whole time. Look, John, do you know what this is? <laughs> what, is what, what is, what's going on? This is a fucking bot fly, man. I just pulled it out of my goddamn body. You know why? Because it was inside me the whole fucking time. Because I'm not crazy. Do you see it? Can you see? Can you see what was in my body? How I'm not insane? <laughs> and for the first time in our relationship, I saw him scared. <laughs> His eyes bugged out. And he let out, like, a scream, like a girl. (laughs) Like a really pussy girl. (laughs) And he ran and he grabbed his camera. And he started snapping pictures as fast as he could. Just, oh, my God, it's so disgusting. I can't believe it. This is, what's going on? Where did it come from? This is evil. This isn't life. life. This is, oh, my God. Like, he's literally losing his shit. And I'm just standing there, like, posing for him like so you can get like a better angle on like do you see the hole do you see where it came out of do you see the thing do you want me to scale it should I get a quarter for size (laughs) and as he's snapping the pictures I realize something I realize that I'm the strong one that even though I may be nervous and I may be a bad liar and I may not be good at the hustle That when it comes time to confront reality, I'm the one that's gonna be there with duct tape, a pair of tweezers, and the will to get shit done. (laughs)
1: Is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the head and the heart behind me now, and we just heard from Sovereign Sire. Listen, uh, I said it before, I'll say it again. We are coming to Carboro, North Carolina on February 10th, Austin, Texas, February 12th, Houston on the 13th, and Dallas on the 14th. Come out and see those shows. All the information is on the live shows page at risk-show.com tour then on the 24th of February, we are back at the Bell House in Brooklyn with an all star cast. If you are in New York City, you got to get out to the Bell House on the 24th of February in Brooklyn. On the 25th, we are in Los Angeles again at Nerd Melt. On the 10th of March, we are in Chicago, Illinois. The theme that night is ecstatic. The pitch deadline is February 11th. So pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. Then DC, DC will be happening on March 26th. The theme that night is powerless. The pitch deadline is February 27th. Again, just check out the information at risk-show.com slash submissions. Whenever you want to pitch us in April. We have shows in Vancouver on the 27th, in Seattle on the 28th, in Portland on the 30th. Those pitch deadlines are in March, so get on it. Vancouver, Seattle, Portland. All that information is at risk-show.com slash submissions. Also on our site... You will find the tables of contents of all the shows, including where to find the storytellers and the musicians online. You'll find our shop, where you can find our merchandise and our first couple of seasons of the show that we've remastered and taken all the ads out of. You'll find the Support Us page, where you can help us out, make a financial contribution if you love what it is we do. And you can always learn about our education our storytelling training, including one on one training, in person workshops, online workshops, and corporate workshops, at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today is the day. Take a risk.